Happy Birthday Church. Uh, if you are new this morning, we are preaching through the books of First and Second Samuel. It's kind of the diet at Trinity is we preach through books because preaching through books helps us to gain the context of all that's going on so we're not randomly just kind of dropping in and preaching something that maybe is interesting to me or I think might be interesting to you, but we preach through so that you hear the Word of God preached. Uh, we preach both Old Testament and New Testament. We think the Word of God is the Word of God. All of it is good and profitable for the building up of the believer. And so we find ourselves in the Old Testament, and we don't apologize for that. We absolutely love our Old Testament. Um, and so where we're at at this point, um, if I could kind of catch you up, Samuel is about two kings. Uh, one being to keep the people's king, if you will, and the other being God's king if you will. Saul, being the people's king, uh, he had the appearance of a king, but he was no king. And then David, who didn't look like a king at all, but he acts kingly before he ever was a king. And he, of course, is the man after God's own heart. Israel had pinned their hope on their man, Saul. Uh, but we're told back in chapter 28, he will die soon. And we now turn to chapter 30, where God's chosen king is coming. And so the title this morning is, The King is Coming. The future king, David, has been on the run. Sometimes seeking the Lord, at other times we've been pointing out, not so much. And as one king dies, another king is coming and chapter 30, what we'll be covering this morning, exists as a hinge. It exists as a hinge to the rest of, well, there's only one more chapter in 1 Samuel, but all of 2 Samuel. You know there was only one book. In the original, there's one book. They probably broke those up because of the length of it. Don't know, but just hear this. This morning's text, chapter 30, is this hinge as to what's coming. It's not just a king, but all that's coming. And so David, the future king, seeks the Lord and his army shrinks. That's what we're going to be hearing this morning. The battle has been won, which has far-reaching implications where the plunder of war is going to be shared lavishly. Let's pray. Lord, we have sung about your grace. We have sung about your goodness. Lord, we praise your holy name. We have been exhorted through song over us. Speak, O oh Lord, as we come now to your eternal word. Lord, we pray for the building of your church. Lord, we thank you for 26 years. Lord, have you just been so amazingly kind to us. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy poured out upon us. Lord, we exist that you might be glorified. And that you might be glorified right now, today, through the preaching of your word, we pray. Come, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to dive right in. My first point is the coming king's third day revival. I want to introduce the sermon this morning where Christian left off last week. And I want there to be overlap because I think overlap is needed in the first eight verses here. 
Because David here is inquiring of the Lord. I'm going to say again. For me, when I read the page, I, I feel like there's, a, there's this personal revival going on in the life of David in what we see here. So I'm actually going to invite you now to stand with me. We're going to read the first eight verses. Samuel, 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 through 8. says this, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, just note that, the Amicalites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, taking captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. As Christian mentioned last week, they were probably going to sell them into slavery. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Just let that sink in a moment. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. You would have to. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Hinnom of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. You may be seated. At this point, David has hit rock bottom. Outside of death itself, even all the hardships that he's faced, this is the worst of the worst. This is the bottom. David has been on the run from Saul. And in his desperation and fear, David runs. Rather than trusting in the Lord, he runs to the enemy. He runs to the Philistines. And this is what we've been covering the past few weeks. And he found himself, as Christian put it last week, in a pickle. He is marching to war now with the Philistines to battle against God's people, who he will future be king over. And it's important, we've noted this, but want to remind you, he ran from the promised land. Land is a big topic in scripture. We certainly don't have time to unpack right now, but just go with it. Land is a big deal throughout scripture. He's running from, not just any old land, he's running from the promised land here Hear me, uh, the, the, the land of provision, the land of safety, the land where God provides for his people. He runs from that land to the enemy's land, to the land, uh, well, he, he runs to that land for provision and safety from Saul, right? And so he's running, 
the comparison we made a few weeks ago is he's running to the world, right? And that, that's what we do. We, we run from God's provision and trust in him, and, and we, we can run to the world for our sense of protection and peace and satisfaction and, 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 and. And so there's an interesting thing that happens in these verses. In verse 1, now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, it's okay, it'll be all right. Poor thing. He, and when it says that, right? So on that third day, there's another reference. Uh, verse 12, you can hop down to it. It is actually about the Egyptian. Where is my verse 12? Where'd you go? Next page. It says, and when he had eaten, speaking of the Egyptian, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. There's going to be another reference. We'll hear it in a couple weeks in chapter 1, verse 2 of Second Samuel. We could say perhaps this is a nod to third day transitions. Now, now hear me. I don't want to overstate this. I don't want to make this like this is not the point of the text. Okay, I want to make that clear. It's not the point of the text. I don't want to over-spiritualize it by any stretch. Um, but I don't want to ignore it either. Uh, I do find it interesting that there's a repeated reference to a third day. And the transitions that are happening in this text that we're going to be seeing are really quite stunning. The Amicalites have defeated David's people. The enemy has won. David and his, his guys, they're, they're crushed. They, they are literally crying themselves dry of tears. Their strength gone. Women and children will be sold into slavery. Gone forever. And it's in that moment, right? David, we see, seeks the Lord. Now at that point, as I'm reading my Bible, I just want to just, yes, that's a yes moment. Go, David. All right. Where you been? Chapter after chapter after chapter. Yes, he's seeking the Lord. Now, when we're reading that, right, you just, we just brush right past that and we miss, we miss the moment. It's a big moment. It's a hinge point in the books. And it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. This is not some sort of self-pump, pump yourself up, some self-talk. Come on, Tim, you've got this. You can do it. You've got what it takes, Tim. Don't be afraid, Tim. No, at Trinity, no, no, no. Let us strengthen ourselves in the Lord. I take this to mean David reviewed the character of God and the Lord's activity. I take it to mean, I take that just from, from the, the broad work of what the Psalms does much of which written by David. He's regularly, what is he doing? Reviewing the character of the Lord, reviewing the activity of the Lord, reviewing the character of the Lord, reviewing the activity of the Lord over and over and over. And that is what will strengthen you in the Lord. I've been a bit rough on David these past chapters and these past weeks, but here the enemy has destroyed him and all that he holds dear and even for the men who are with him, who are, we made a note of it many weeks ago. They're linked to this guy. For better or worse, at this point, for worse. They're ready to stone him. 
They are inseparable from all that's taking place. And so their lives are destroyed as well. There is no hope on the page. What else do they have than their families? I mean, some of them might be holding some sort of spear. That's it. All they have is now lost. Imagine. And it's here at the end of his rope. On this third day of defeat, David sought the Lord. It's an amazing moment. As David is returning to the Lord, it's a shift from what we've been reading ever since chapter 23, which equates to years. No reference of David seeking the Lord. Now, finally, here, chapter 30. And sometimes the Lord uses, right, the circumstances that we've created, our lack of seeking the Lord, to draw us back to Him. To the glory of his name, he does this. Sometimes it's suffering. Sometimes it's the emptiness of our lives. Sometimes it's the things that we have been pursuing or the, the, the neglect of, of God's promises to the pursuit of the things of this world. Sometimes it's prison. Sometimes it's a drunken stupor. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's hopelessness. How many of you were at rock bottom And that's where the Lord got your attention. And he drew you to himself. You might be here this morning. And you you might be there this morning. You might be at that point this morning. You can repent for not seeking after the Lord. And begin to seek him. And pursue him. You can return. You can inquire of the Lord. And David and all of Israel is experiencing this incredible transition that's going on here. In this chapter, Saul is defeated. Death is coming to him. The death of the king is right around the corner. We'll hear about it next week. Saul, look at the comparison. Saul sought out darkness. He sought out a median. The people's guy. Our guy. Our king will soon die. Contrasted with David, who out of the darkness, he pursued the enemy... But out of that darkness, what does he do? He seeks the Lord. And out of the darkness, what are we going to see here? Ah, the Lord tells him there will be victory. And life is coming to Israel. Out of the death of one king, the king is coming. And so David says, call the priests. Call the priests. Because we're going to seek the Lord. And if I could just address us for a moment, while we appreciate you calling on us as pastors for counsel, while we appreciate that you would call on your community group leaders for input and insight, you call on a trusted friend, right, for guidance and wisdom. Scripture speaks to that, right? It's all good. But are you inquiring of the Lord? Are you inquiring of the Lord? He's your Lord. Some people would say, I just need to hear the Lord speak. True enough. True enough. But know this. The Lord has spoken. Spoken. He has spoken. Run to the word, the living word of God. Run to God's word. Let this be your guide. Let this be your guide. Yes, 
intentionally, the past couple weeks, we want to bring an exhortation. We are a charismatic church, all right? So hear that. We believe the gifts, in the gifts. We believe that the gifts continue. We believe including prophecy continues today. But no, those words never replace this word. Never replace this word. We're not looking for some new word. We're not looking for something better. We don't need anything better. We've got the word of God, and it's living and breathing. The prophetic word of today, those are passing away. Scripture tells us there will be a day, it says, when the perfect comes, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, is what I believe that Scripture is referring to, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and following. Christ will return. No need at that point for any other words. But in verse 8, the Lord speaks and says there will be victory. Now again, I want to refer back to last week. Scripture, uh, scripture, Christian. (laughs) Yeah, you're not all that. (laughs) It was really good last week, but yeah. Um, Christian was talking about the already and the not yet, right? That you are the already. You're justified in Christ. You are righteous. The not yet. You're being sanctified. (laughs) And just look at ourselves, right? Already. You're made righteous. You're right. You're clean in the eyes of God through the sacrifice of his son. Righteous. Think about your day yesterday. Think about your week this week. Already, not yet. But it's coming, right? Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so the already and not yet is at play. And what I like to say is we live in the middle. Right? We live in the middle days between what is and what is coming. And so in the middle, the Lord says, victory. And you go, victory? <laughs> right? And in the middle, where David's at, the Lord is saying, victory. And I imagine him going, victory? And you can even hear that in his voice as he returns to the Lord and says, basically, are you sure? Checking again. Do you got this? Because I got to need to check again. Because it doesn't feel like victory, and it sure doesn't look like victory. Everything looks like defeat for him at this point. Already, not yet. And that's that 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 very thing that we live in the middle, the already and the not yet, is is the reason for why we talk about trust in the Lord. Right? Because if it was a there won't be any need in heaven to somehow figure out, how do I trust in the Lord? You're there. <laughs> Victory is final. But in the middle, can you trust him? Can you trust him when you're at the end of your rope? And so Saul, comparisons, he's seeking out a medium. He's seeking darkness. He will soon be di- dying. David is seen here seeking out the Lord. And he's turning to the light. And he's seen, I'm going to say, resurrecting. There's a resurrecting thing going on here. And so everything hinges on the death of one king and the resurrection or the revival, perhaps, of another king. And it's more than a personal revival of this one man, David. This is a setup for revival in Israel because the king is coming. And a king is coming through the king who is coming. 
But more on that in a minute. Secondly, the coming king's unexpected victory. Look at verse number 9 and 10. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, and he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. Okay, so that's where the baggage is. Remember a few weeks ago I said, you know, David's looking around for some mighty men to go with him in battle, and he comes to me and he's like, eh, why don't you stay with the bags, <laughs> right? Uh, you guard the bags. You got this. The rest of us, we're going into battle, and so uh, there, there's, there's some men here who are going to get left behind. The coming king's unexpected victory, or I'm going to subtitle it, In Our Weakness, He is Strong. 2 Corinthians puts it like this, Paul speaking of his thorn in the flesh, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, right? Therefore, in light of your strength being made perfect in my weakness, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 1 Samuel 30 is how... This is how we read of it. So David set out, 600 men who were with him. They came to the brook where those who were left behind stayed. And David pursued, he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind. They were too exhausted to cross the brook. All right, so here's, here's, here's David's army. I got 600. 600 just got whittled down by 200. He's got 400 men to go to battle against the entire army of the Amalekites. This, the, the, they are so radically outnumbered. And they just lost more. They were outnumbered when they had 600. Okay, let's go with four. Can David trust the Lord in the middle? He has strengthened himself in the Lord. He has sought the Lord. The Lord has spoken. The Lord said, the battle is yours. It will be won. David is gone. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Okay, but do you know that the army that already was small just lost one third of the men? Lord, do you know? Do you know what you're going through? Does the Lord know? As you come to the end of your rope, bottom of the pit, as bad as it gets, are you sure, Lord? That's David. The Lord says, yes, I'm sure. But are you really sure? Because my army just shrunk again. There are times in the middle that will challenge our trust in the Lord. Can you take God at his word? The battle is the Lord's, but is it? Are you sure? Does he have this? Do you wonder if the Lord can handle the circumstances of your life? Can he handle what the doctor just pronounced over you? Can he handle what it is that you're going through in your family, in your marriage, or your parenting? Oddly, sometimes, it's easy for us to trust him for our salvation. But can I trust him with today? Can I trust him what I'm going through tomorrow? Can I trust him with the flat tire the pronouncement of you have cancer, the doctor's report. Can I trust him with my children, my, my, not in my case, but my unbelieving spouse? 
Can I trust him with my career? Can I trust him with my future? Can I trust the Lord in the middle? Do things look bleak in your battle? Is God whittling down your army, which I would say whittling you down? Is he making you weak? This is when you want to ask, is Christ enough? Is Christ enough? Can he be trusted? Is what he accomplished on the cross, on my behalf, is that enough? Has he won the victory? What will be the outcome for the follower of Christ as your army shrinks and you get weak? What will be the outcome in our country? What will be the outcome in our Christianity around the world as there are things, there are things pressing, there's darkness, there are things that we're actually seeking to address in an equip class, right? There's all these things pressing upon us. What will be the outcome? Can we trust the Lord in our country, in our world, in our own individual lives? To all of that, I say pray that the king would come and revival would come in our day and in our land. And the people of God came to the sea and the Egyptian army pursued them. And when there was absolutely no hope of salvation, an army was coming down upon them with horses and chariots and armor. When they had no means of fighting their enemy, the Lord fought for them. When they were at their absolute weakest, what? The Lord split the sea in two. They go across on dry land. The enemy follows them into the sea and the Lord wins their battle. And when God whittled Gideon's army down to nothing, and then he shrunk it again. And Gideon could be going, Lord, what, what, what are you doing? Can I trust you? And the Lord fought for them, and the enemy was defeated. And when Christ hung on the cross, and he died on that cross, and they laid him in a grave, and all was lost, all hope was gone and forgotten, and the disciples literally hid in their fear. The enemy had won. Christ rose from the grave. And when you were defeated and you were on drugs and you were in prison and you, life, your life had no hope and when you were a church kid in a little room similar to these over here and you realized you had no ability to save yourself when you were brought low under the weight of your sin, what? Christ saved you. Shrinking armies in the Bible. What? What's going on here? an opportunity to glorify him judges 7 2 speaks of one of those the lord said to gideon the people with you are too many for me to give the midianites into their hand lest israel boast over me you got too many people. if if i let you go to battle and you win the battle with this many people you're going to boast in yourself that's what that's saying so i'm whittling you down to a pulp to a nothing in your weakness i will be made strong before you that my own hand has saved you. Uh, Paul, again, to the Corinthians, he says it like this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are why so that no human being might 
boast in the presence of God. We got nothing to boast in, in ourselves. Scripture is going to tell us, but you are to boast. You boast not in yourself. You boast in your Lord and Savior. You boast in the Lord. So let there be boasting in the Lord at Trinity. That's what, when you give in the offering, that's what you're doing. You're boasting. You're boasting. You say, I don't have much to give. And yet you give. What are you doing? You're boasting in your God. Some of you, I have a lot to give and I'm giving a lot. What are you doing? You're boasting in your God. Let there be boasting. There be loud boasting. It's what you do when you sing. It's what we do when we clap. We raise our hands. What are we doing? This is not a show. This is not, look how wide I can put my hands out here. This is, I am boasting in my God who has saved me. And wow, even this morning, I too was a bit undone through the songs and just, just trying to just look over my shoulder a little bit, you know? And so all I could get to is, I see Bobby over here, I see Paul over here, I see, and see, yep, and I'm just going, ah, I love the boasting that's going on in the room as we worship our Lord and Savior and all that's taking place. And so out of the weakness, not out of our strength comes victory, but out of our weakness comes victory. That the Lord would be revealed for who he is. The king is coming, David, and revival is coming. But it doesn't come the way we would think, does it? Certainly, all this reminds us of the king of kings being prophesied about by Isaiah says this, for he grew up before him like a young plant, weakness, and like a root out of dry ground, weakness. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, weakness, 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 and no beauty that we should desire him. And he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Weakness, weakness, weakness. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. What a Savior. Number three, the coming king's lavish kindness. One act of kindness we're going to see is, is brought to them. And it will be met by another act of kindness. And it all just kind of feels kind of random, but it's not. So verse 11, they found an Egyptian. Like how random does, random does that sound? They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. This is, this is an Egyptian. They didn't, they didn't find a Jew. They gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, I love this, his spirit revived. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. Ooh. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid against the Negeb of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah. This guy's one of the enemies. 
kill him now. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because all of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. The enemy is defeated, though 400 escape. That, that's the size of, D, of David's entire army. Like at that point, I, I don't know what the, what the numbers were, but still seems like there's a fight. <laughs> like you got 400 escaping. What were the odds here? 400 against 400. No, it was 400 plus one. There was a plus one. And so the, the, the enemy of the Lord was defeated. But here's the thing. They didn't fight David and his mighty men. They fought against the Lord Almighty. It's a little microcosm of our battle. The enemy keeps showing up. That's the Amalekites. Throughout Old Testament, wish we could unpack it more. Throughout the Old Testament, Amalekites just keep showing up. Saul was supposed to deal with them, 1 Samuel 15. He disobeys the Lord. It's, it's all part of the reason why Saul's now come to his demise. These guys keep showing up. And maybe that feels like your life, where the enemy just keeps showing up. And yet Christ has defeated the enemy at the cross. You have an already victory, but it's also the not yet. The final defeat has not come. So verse 18, David recovered all that Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and the herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David. That's the guys that I'm with. And who had been left at the brook of Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they didn't go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except that each man may lead his wife and children and depart. So take your, take your family and get out of here. You're on your own. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. Thanks, David. They shall share alike. And he made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. And he spent, he's going he's to send out the spoils. Here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And it just goes to here's all the places that those spoils are going. Six times over in these verses, it says, David, 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 David. 
The emphasis here is on him. He defeats the enemy. He offers kindness rather than exactness. These are, it says, wicked and worthless men. They are greedy men. David is, well, the coming king offers grace. He's extending grace. He provides like a king ought to provide. He defeats like a king ought to defeat. He recovers all that was lost. And then out of the spoils, he shares all that was lost. And and, and he rewards all the people, all the men. Even the Egyptian gets rewarded. A stranger, a foreigner receives kindness and will benefit from the coming king's victory. That's why we love to preach the Old Testament. You know where we're going. What grace do we see here from the coming king? David, it's a picture of this lavish, generous grace given because grace has been received from the Egyptian. But you got these worthless men. They're actually saying the, the spoil that we recovered. No credit to David there. No credit to the Lord there. The victory was not about David. And the victory was not about these men. It was about what God had done on their behalf. See, their theology is a theology of works. We deserve this. We fought the battle. We did this. I ought to be given to, but not those 200 guys. They were just back here with the baggage. Give to those who earned what they deserve. Trinity, let's not bring this theology into our Christianity. Grace is not about equal shares. It's a gift. None of us has earned anything. These these men, it was the 400 plus one. It was the one who defeated the army. None of the army, none of these men deserved any victory. They didn't deserve any spoils from that victory. But the king is coming. The king is coming. And he doesn't give to us based on our efforts. He doesn't give to us based on battles we have won. None of us have won any battles. Who are we in the story? Well, You're all with me. We're all together. Back there with the bags. It's not just me that got skipped over. The Lord says, Tim, I don't need your efforts to win the battle of sin and death. I do that alone. I've got this. Here in the middle, do you got this? Oh. This text exists to tell us, oh, God's got this. We preach the Old Testament to help us see, oh, the Lord has it. So all of us, where are we at in the battle? Um, Well, we didn't make it to the battle. We're back there watching the baggage. And yet, the king shares lavishly his victory over us. What did you do to win your salvation? What have you done to accomplish victory that you will one day stand in eternity before God the King. Answer, nothing. You have done nothing. So verse 23, 
David corrects the record and he says, the Lord has given. All right, what, what did these guys do? What about, what about us? What, we're the ones. And he corrects the record. They've been saying, David, David, David. Then they say, we, we. And then, no, David, the Lord has given. It's all of the Lord. And the Lord gives decisively. No, the kingdom of God, wicked, worthless men, will operate out of a theology of grace, not a theology of works, not a theology of our efforts. And that grace will be lavish. It will be gracious. It will get sent out across the lands. It will seek to give rather than to rule. That was, that was Saul's reign. Saul existed to take. That was Samuel's warning of Saul's reign. Take, take, take. David is saying God was gracious to us. He gave us victory. And now in that victory, we will be gracious to all. We will do so we will do so lavishly to all those around us, not exacting, you earned it this much, you earned it more, you earned it less. No, just lavish grace. So scripture calls them worthless. But did you see in verse 23? Scripture calls them worthless. David calls them brothers. Wow. Even in this David, the coming king, is being gracious to these men. And so we see this lavish giving continues and it gets sent out around the land. Everywhere his men roamed, there, there was to be a generosity that went, followed them. The future king being kingly, this is what the kingdom of God is to look like. The king is coming to Israel and he comes in victory and he takes from the victory and lavish shares of the spoils of war even amongst those who didn't go with him into battle and he shares the spoils of war. And the king of kings came. He came riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, to the shouts of the crowd. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Consider a moment, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension to the Father, the sending of His Spirit, and the return, the one-day return of Christ the King. On the third day, the King defeated death and defeated our enemy and he plundered the enemy. Anybody who's in here who is a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the spoils of war. Taken, literally plundered from the enemy. You and I, we belong to the enemy. But through the resurrection of Christ, you are no longer darkness. You have been taken from darkness. You now belong to light. When Christ defeated sin and death, you were plundered from the enemy. You no longer belong to death. You have been given new life in Christ Jesus. And now when you and I evangelize and when Christ redeems a person and today in about 30 minutes we celebrate baptisms and someone comes out of that water, each baptism says, the enemy has yet again been plundered today. These who will be baptized in a little bit, spoils of war. Luke 15 tells us three times over and all of heaven rejoices. And the king gives gifts. 
the king continues to give gifts today, gifts of the Spirit. Ephesians 4 tells us, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ died for the weak. Christ died for who? He died for the foreigner. The seemingly random strangers, 10 lepers, adulterers, demoniacs, Zacchaeus, even the disciples, we could just say, what a random crowd they are. And yet none of them are random and neither are you. All who belong to him, belong to him as the spoils of war. Are you a follower of Christ? If yes, there is one and only one reason why. The king has been generous to you. He picked you out of the crowd, just like Zacchaeus. Out of the crowd, that one, he, she, you're mine. I'm going home with you today. You belong to me, spoil of war. We were once captured by sin and death, but the king defeated sin and death. He took our sins. He gave us his righteousness. Psalms 24 asks, who is this king of glory? And the reply is, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord strong and mighty. Let's stand and let's sing to our God.